Our text this morning is from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. You will find this passage on page 16 in the Bible in the chair in front of you. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son, he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said today, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Miriam. You may be seated. This week, we come very close to the end of Abraham's story, move into Isaac's story. Um, before we look at this passage, allow me to pray for us. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for your word, even the difficult parts, whether that is the parts that teach us that Jesus was fully human and fully God, or the parts where our human sensibilities are offended and we want to keep the stories at arm's length, I pray that we would hear the truth of your gospel this morning, that we would see how this story is not an indictment on you, but it is a revelation of your love for us. So I pray that we would be in that place, that you would press the gospel deeper into our hearts this morning. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, so I mentioned in my prayers a moment ago, this story 
um, is one of the category of stories in the Bible that maybe we don't care for that much. <laughs> um, a story like this, I think humanity tends, or Christians want to tend to keep it at arm's length. Uh, I think uh, if you look at the title of the sermon, maybe because there's both tests and substitutes in this passage, and both of those things we hate at school. So um, maybe that's it, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it probably has to do with the fact that the story begins with God commanding Abraham to kill a child. That's uncomfortable. That's uncomfortable. And so when we get to these uncomfortable stories in the Bible, uh, we, we don't necessarily label them wrong, but we, we kind of push them at arm's length. Maybe we don't dive too deeply. We don't like to sit in them. And I think one response that we might have to justify a story like this would be, well, God is God. Get over it. Get over it. God can do what he wants to do. And I would say that certainly that is correct. God is God. Uh, God can do what he wants. And in fact, because he's the source of rightness, when God does something, it is inevitably right because God's doing it. But I don't think that... Um, Although that helps us know that God is free of human judgment or human critique, I don't think that that's what this text intends for us to understand about God. And in fact, I believe that if we just look at the text and see what it says, it's not just a matter of, well, God can do what he wants. I believe that it coaxes us closer to Christ-likeness to understand a story like this. It brings us closer to being like Christ. And so this morning... What's my job? My job is to let this text stand on its own two legs. The, the text gives its own explanation for what's happening here. God is not ashamed of this story. God, God included it in the word of God, the story of his people. And so we neither, neither should we be ashamed of it. And so this morning my prayer is that we move past discomfort and we hear and learn what God has for us. And so what we're going to do... What I'd like to do, the way we're going to proceed, is I'm going to highlight from the story what I believe are some clarifying moments, clarifying moments for how we might better understand this story and not keep it at arm's length. So let's start right at the beginning, usually the best place to start. Verse 1, after these things, let's stop there. So at this rate, I'm going to go three words at a time. We're going to be here probably till 2 o'clock. Um, listen, after these things, after what things? What is this story following? The, the, the first three words of this passage are pointing us backward into some point in history. After what things? And the answer is all the things in Abraham's life. After all the things in Abraham's life. This story is the final exam, if you will, of Abraham's life. The final exam. And we'll get to the, what that means here in a moment as we get to the word tested. But let's remind ourselves where Abraham's come from. God called this pagan, moon-worshiping man from Ur. Abraham was a, was a pagan. There's nothing special about him. We, if you look back at the sermons, we pointed out he wasn't a Noah figure, more righteous than the rest. He just was a guy. He was a guy. God called him away from Ur. He called him away from his family. And what do we see in the story of Abraham? Certainly we have the, the, the moment where he believes God's word and that is counted to him as righteousness. But we also have the stories of Abraham the liar, Abraham the doubter, Abraham the arguer, Abraham the adulterer. And so why did God call this man? 
Why did God make irrevocable promises to this man? Why? Because God's love and his character could best be demonstrated through Abraham. That's why. Nothing to do with Abraham, everything to do with God. Now, it's highly condensed. But what we see is God calling Abraham after all these things, calls him to what? Wait, believe, and obey. Wait, believe, and obey. That's been a recurring statement. And so, after all these things, the life of Abraham, he's saying, believe me, obey me, wait for my promises. He then tests Abraham. We continue. You'll be encouraged to see I read more than just three words here. God tested Abraham. Let's stop there. Just kidding. Um, And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain on which I shall tell you. God tested Abraham. What's a test? What is a test? The, the, the actual, like, literal definition of a word, the word test is to attempt to learn the nature of something. So this scenario is meant not to be the end of Isaac's life, but to be a test for Abraham. God is seeing what Abraham is made out of. Last week we saw the promise was made unconditional to Abraham. And so when God said for him to be circumcised, it didn't change the unconditional promise to a conditional one. It was God calling Abraham into a a journey of preparedness, preparing to receive the promise of God. And so this passage is looking to answer a question. And what is that question? Has God's unconditional promise... And his call on Abraham's life to faithful obedience worked. Has it worked? Is Abraham ready to receive the promise of God? That's what this passage is asking and answering. Let's see how Abraham does. The test is set. Let's see how Abraham does. Look at verse 3. Let's see how Abraham the arguer responds. So Abraham rose early in the morning saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. No arguing, no bargaining, no words at all. He just acts. He just acts. I want to make a point here. Remember last week, God has shown himself faithful and faithful and faithful. And what happens when God finally says, uh, I'm going to give Sarah a child. First, Sarah and he take matters into their own hands. They, they, they produce a child through Hagar. And then again, God says, no, no, no. It's going to be Sarah who has a son for you. And he says, listen, God, just use Ishmael. He's here already. He's a boy. He's mine. Let's move along. That's arguing. He's telling God his business. And then, listen to this. This is something we've skipped over in our story of Abraham, but think of the, the famous story of, of the burning of Sodom. The story of the, the city of Sodom, a completely evil place. Abraham, hearing what God intends to do, argues with God to save that place. Listen to what he says. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And listen to how he tells God what he ought to do and who he is. Far be it from you, God. <laughs> Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? What is he saying to God? arguing for this awful place called Sodom. You've got it wrong. You've got it wrong. This is unjust. He's telling God what his character is. He's telling God what he should and shouldn't do. But here, what does he do? He just does what God says. 
There's no argument. I didn't plan for this. My brain just said, make it a report card. I was going to give him a grade. I'm not going to do that. That'd get weird. I have to undo all that. No report card, no grades, okay? This is more like CFI grades. Like, you're doing great, okay? Um, let's keep going. Abraham the doubter. Let's see how he does. Verses 5 through 8. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. So that they've traveled, they find the place. Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. That's in the plural. Two will go out, two will come back. And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife, and so they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, or as the song earlier said, Papa, um, here I am, my son, he said. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. That's one of those verses that can give you chills. What is the response of Abraham the doubter? Pure, confident, confidence in God's promises. He just acts. He's moving forward. His statement to the servants is, is evident of, listen, we're going out, we're coming back. He's not lying. He's telling what he believes. The author of Hebrews says it this way, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. And they take a leap here that, that we can take with him. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. So what is Abraham's thinking here? Even if I follow through on this thing, Isaac is the son of the promise. There's no other way that God has mentioned. This is it, and no matter what happens here, God is faithful. Now, Abraham, I don't think, knew exactly how this would play out. He didn't know how God would deliver Isaac, but he didn't feel that need to lie either. A lie is an act of mistrust, so when he meets Pharaoh and he's not sure what's going to happen, he lies about who Sarah is. He lies many times in his life, and that a lie is always an act of mistrust. Here he just says in obvious confidence what God is going to do. We're both going, we're both coming back. And when his son, who's obviously aware enough to be like, hey, where's the lamb? He, he doesn't lie. Oh, yeah, we'll find it later. No, God will provide. Whatever God's plan was, Abraham is confident in it. Let's see how Abraham, the hesitant follower, or the guy who goes his own way, responds. Verses 9 and 10, And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And when Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Unflinching follow-through. Unflinching follow-through. If you're looking for a moment of wait on God, believe that he is, he is, what he says is true, and just obey, this is it on display. Just do what God says. He built the altar. He brought the knife. He brought the wood. He tied up Isaac, knowing what? That somehow God was going to do something, and that something would be worthy of worship. Go back to verse 5. He says, the boy and I will go, and we are going to worship <laughs> And then we'll come back. And then we have the moment of God's intervention. Once again, God's promise intervenes 
with provision. Verses 11 through 13. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Listen, if you're looking for a moment, a plot point to comfort you, the ram stuck in the bush should be it. Why? Because before the command was even given, before the command was given to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the ram was on its way. It was on its way. This ram had been born, it had grown up, it had grown horns, it was grazing on this mountain, it was in the area, and then God guided it directly to this bush in this place and got its horn stuck in that bush. That was all God's plan. God does not act on a whim. He knows and he plans and he protects his promises. So what's the verdict of the story? What's the verdict of the story? Abraham passes. Abraham passes. Now the point of the story isn't that Abraham has done very good. I mean, one uh, author, Ian Duguid, says the mountain is not called Abraham has succeeded. Okay, that's not the point of the story. What is the mountain called? Abraham says it himself in verse 14. So God, uh, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And so what characteristic should we be looking at in this story to admire? It's Abraham's complete and utter dependence upon God. That's it. That's it. Abraham, and after all this, he, he is a still amazed by God's provision. And so what do we, ha what do we have here? We have Abraham's transformation from what he was before to this faith-driven, confident obedience. He believes in God's promises and he lives life according to them. That's what we see. This test revealed who Abraham was and who is he now? A faithful follower of God, obedient, patient. A little bit of tongue-in-cheek, some of us aren't quite there yet. <laughs> None of us are. Listen, none of us are at this place that Abraham is being found out to be. None of us are. In fact, I would say most of us are still doing this thing that we've talked about over the last several weeks. We're still acting in our lives as if our actions bend spiritual realities. We're still trying to obey or, or get away with what we can, thinking that that changes who God, what God thinks about us. We live our lives as if our identity is what we do but we have to remember, how did Abraham arrive at this place? How did he get here? He didn't pull up the bootstraps. That's not the answer. Abraham arrived at this place after decades of interaction with God. Interaction with God. Think about all the rises and the valleys of Abraham's life that he went through. Think about all the repeated and awful personal sin in Abraham's life. Think through all the trials and the temptations that Abraham faced. And through all that, he was molded. Abraham was molded 
into a trusting, faith-filled follower of God. How? By the constant exposure to the substance of God's love and the unshakable character of his promises. That's how it happened. It wasn't that he did enough or he was good enough or he hit all the right notes and suddenly he had created himself as his faithful follower. No, God, through all of his sin and all of his shortcomings, continually showed his love and reminded him of his promises and that made Abraham ready to receive the promise. That's how it went. God molded this man. Therefore, the name of the mountain is the Lord will provide. And so as we look at this story and we ask the question as we do each week, where, what does this have to do with us? The question then would be, okay, well, where are we now? What's the character of our faithfulness and our following of God? And what does God desire at the end of our lives? Where does he want us to go and where are we now? And we can use Abraham as an example for this. So in what ways are we like the way Abraham was? Ransom the doubter of God's promises. I'm, I'm ransom the arguer with God. That's who I am. That's what I do. I'm ransom the know-it-all. Christian, we are, if not literally, liars and adulterers. Every sin we commit is, is as equal to or the same as that toward God. Toward God, we are liars, adulterers, doubters, arguers. That's what we are. And as we stumble and we trip through this life over our sin, how are we going to get where we're going? In fact, where does God want us to be? And just like God prepared Abraham to receive the promise, he's doing the same for us. In Ephesians 5, you can write down Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. I'm going to quote some of it here. Paul is telling us the destination of our faith. Where does God want to bring us? And he's using uh, marriage, husbands and wives as an example, but really he's talking about us as Christians. Here's what he says. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her. Defining what that means, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what God is preparing us for this moment. God is bringing us to this place. He's molding us into that church. And he's doing it how? The washing of his word. What does that mean? It means the repetition of gospel truths over and over and over and over again. Just like Abraham, he showed him steady love and he reminded him of his unshaking promises over and over and over again. So we're not responsible to make it happen. I got this, come on, Jonathan, let's go, let's be perfect. That's not how this works. God is molding us. We must listen to these truths and believe them. That's what we're called to do. And so how does this transformation take place? What's God asking us? What's our role in this? And so we can see this. There are commands throughout the New Testament that, that show us what we're supposed to do. Romans 12, I think, is a great one. Paul again says, I appeal to you, church, Christians, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now hold on to those two words. We'll come back to them in a minute. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
Listen to what this means. What does it mean to be a, a living sacrifice? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How are we transformed by the truth? By the truth. This is no different than what God did with Abraham. And so do we, the question, Christian, is this, do we want in our lives the same faithfulness that Abraham exhibits in this story? I think the answer for us is yes. Imagine knowing God's will and just doing it. I long for that day in my life. Well, how do we get there? We marinate in the truth of God. That's how we get there. We marinate in who he is, what he has done, what he continues to do, and how unchanging that truth is. Now, this story is not just about Abraham. I'm making a little shift here. This story is also about Isaac. And I, I tried it a bunch of different ways, maybe not including this, but there's really no way not to include this portion of the sermon. And we go back to this idea of a living sacrifice. Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, pointing out something that I'd never really thought of before regarding Genesis 2, 22. I'm sure he thought of some things in Genesis 2 that I haven't thought of either, but uh, we're not there. But he says, because the ram... Follow me here. Because the ram that appeared in the bush was substituted for Isaac, Isaac became a living sacrifice. Isaac is a living sacrifice. So, so what's a living sacrifice? It's someone who recognizes that God has saved their lives by providing a substitute. God has saved their lives by providing a substitute. We don't often go back and ask, how did this moment affect Isaac's life? He was on the altar, tied up, his father ready to stab him. And there God shouts from heaven, Abraham, I'm providing something else. He's a living sacrifice. And so we're called in that Romans 12 passage to be just that, be a living sacrifice. So we might ask, well, how do I become one of those? And here's the truth, Christian. We need to hear this this morning. If you are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you are a living sacrifice already. We're not becoming that by our behavior. Again, spiritual realities bending our lives. The substitute has already been made. This is one of those gospel truths that we must marinate in. We can't just fly past it. We have to sit in the fact. The fact that God, as he told Abraham, listen, sacrifice your son whom you love. What did God do? He didn't spare the ram. The ram did not live. <laughs> Burned up. And we have to understand that God has spared us whom he loves how? By not sparing his own son, whom he loved. God gave as a substitute for us, wretched sinners, the life of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as what? A spotless lamb sacrifice, a substitute. A substitute. God paid the costliest price that can be paid, why? To make you and me his sons and his daughters. To make you and me his sons and his daughters. So Christian, you know what that makes you and me? It makes us living sacrifices already. Already. Those whom God has saved by a substitution. 
This is what we are. This is what we are. We're not living to become that. We're already living sacrifices saved by the substitute of Jesus Christ. And as we obey, as we wait upon God and we believe him, as we marinate in these truths, these spiritual realities that do not change, what happens? We become more and more like Christ in our lives. I was struck this week just by how much meaning this story of a true living sacrifice adds to our lives. In, in these stories of Abraham, in these studies on his life, we see that God is committed, committed to preserving his people at all costs to who? Himself. He's going to do it. Through these stories, we see that the lives in, of Abraham and Isaac, they speak to the patience of God. My goodness, he is patient. By the, seeing the ram stuck in the thorns, we can see the power of God and how he uses it. We look at the promises that he gave Abraham, not just the promises he gave, but the promises that he took the time to prepare Abraham to receive. And the outcome of this test, Abraham is a different person. And what does that speak to? The thoroughness of God's salvation. He doesn't just give us heaven like a carrot. He walks us all the way to it. And church, Jesus is all these things for us. He is sacrificial, he's patient, he's powerful, and he's thorough. And so where is our transformation rooted? Where are we changing as people? Where are we becoming like Christ? We are, we are transformed and rooted and empowered in these kinds of truths. It's right here in front of us. And so this morning, there's no five-step program on how to become more faithful. The answer is marinate in who God is and what he has done. And I pray and I know that because God finishes what he starts, what will be the declarative statement at the end of our lives, the Lord will provide, will be our answer. If you're here this morning or you're listening online and maybe you're thinking, man, Christians are weird. <laughs> Sacrifice, what's happening? Listen, there is something in this story for you too. There's something in this story for you too. Here in this story, a God who is committed, who's patient, who's loving, who's all-knowing, who's almighty, who's promise-giving, and not just promise-giving, but promise-keeping. He's involved in the lives of his people. This God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. How do we know? Because he knows the joy and the satisfaction that comes from following him, those who believe in him, those who wait on his promises, those who obey and follow him. And he knows the joy and satisfaction that comes. And we know he loves us because he's made a way for us to access it, Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And church, this morning, we have the great, great privilege, as we do every Sunday, to look at this bread and this cup and to see a sign of our ram in the hedges. 
here before us by the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who is present is our substitute. Our substitute is here. And different than a ram getting stuck in a bush, this substitute voluntarily, lovingly gave himself for us. Jesus stepped actively into our place, my place, your place, to do what? Not just say, he's good, he's with me, but to take a real punishment in real flesh that really felt pain. That's what he did for us, willingly. Why? To preserve you and me, to make you and I his sons and daughters. Why? Because he's committed to loving us. And so this morning, why would we come and eat? Why should we come and eat? In what sense should we come and eat? If we have made that confession that we just spoke about, that I am in need and the only meeting of that need is Jesus Christ, we've made that profession out loud with our mouths and in our heart. We've been baptized. We're invited in to this great gift to remember the substitution for our sin. This morning, if you have not believed these things, or you don't want that someone to step in for you. I'm good on my own. Listen, the Bible makes it clear. It doesn't make any sense for you to come. And in fact, it's not good for you to come and eat. And so we would ask that you follow that same way of thinking, that only those who know, confess, profess, have been baptized, would come and participate. Let's just take a moment to quietly pray, examine ourselves in our hearts, and to prepare our hearts for receiving the bread and the cup, and I'll gather us back together with a prayer of blessing before we distribute. Father in heaven, we declare the fact that if we are saved at all, it is only by your goodness. And as the Puritans prayed, they said, uh, it's, we're actually not saved by mercy, we're saved by abundant mercy. We're not saved by grace, but by the exceeding riches of grace. And so may we see such a grace in this supper this morning. May we see the practical truth that when we are in Christ, we are already living sacrifices. We have been substituted for. We were as good as dead, as good as crucified, because you provided yourself as a substitute. And so I pray this morning, Father, please, in your loving kindness, in your unshakable promises, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, bless us by pressing the truth of your gospel deep into our hearts. May we come to the table with a new appreciation, a deeper understanding of just how much you have gone through for us and what that means. And I pray that we would use this time to marinate in the gospel truths. We love you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.